The sermon text for today is found in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. You can find this passage in the Blue Pew Bible on page 1537. Listen as I read God's word. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Here ends the reading. I uh, am fully aware that when I walk up here, you guys are like, okay, 45 minutes or 25? What is he going to do this week? Uh, I am Dave Hammond. I get to serve as the director of Next Gen Ministries here at Elmwood. I love it. It is incredibly fun to get the opportunity to hang out with our youth and our students and our kids, uh, taking the chance to get to know more about them and how God is working in their lives and taking the chance to try to launch them onto the life-giving way of Jesus. Taking the chance to try to encourage them onto the life-changing mission of Jesus. Incredibly fun. Uh, If I haven't gotten the chance to talk to you personally this morning, welcome. Another voice, I just want to say welcome. I love uh, this church, and I love how we are a group of believers trying to together figure out how to follow Jesus and be Jesus' apprentices. But whatever our mission or direction is in life, we all yearn for something to guide us. This is just one of those truths. It's one of those realities. It's one of those experiences we all feel as we walk through these increasingly complex waters called the states in 2024. We look to specific voices to help us understand things like the sports ball we all pay attention to. I've got my people that I listen to 
Tom Grassi, I'm not part of the Packer Nation because that would be my wife, but I can listen to his podcast. I listen to different voices and pundits to help me understand the political realm in which we get to vote this year. Trying to figure out what, how do we do this next? What, where, where do we go? I try to, I follow specific YouTubers and podcasters, radio personalities, and we all do. Voices that we listen to to try to help us through life. We have our favorite authors or directors of, of movies or uh, musicians. <clears throat> my, my daughter had a sleepover last night and I said something about T-Swift and I was told that I was not allowed to speak anymore. Um, because that room had very specific feelings about some musicians. We go to business coaches, life coaches. We go to fitness coaches to help us get, well, some of us go to fitness. I don't go to fitness coaches. Some people do. We go to counselors, therapists, close friends, our parents, teachers, pastors for guidance to say, how do we make it through life? I remember taking a class once in middle school, not because I wanted to take the class, but because a guy named Tom Thomas he always signed his name TTT. I never figured out what his middle initial was. But Tom Thomas was teaching the class. And I wanted to be in Mr. Thomas's class because Mr. Thomas had a bead on how to do life. And I wanted to listen to him. We all yearn for something or someone to guide us. And that yearning is a good thing. It's something that I've heard called an echo of Eden. It's a way that God has designed us to look for something to point us to true north, like the north star in the sky. It's a good thing that God designed us this way, to look for something to guide us. The danger is when we take that yearning for something to guide us and we start applying it to other voices. Yes, it is good to go to therapists. It's good to go to friends. It's good to go to pastors. It's good to get help from other people. But when we put those voices above our life and say, I'm going to listen to this voice above all else, we can miss out on hearing the most important voice that is available to us. We can miss out on hearing what truly matters. Today, as we take a look at Mark 9, verses 12 to, or 2 to 13, my hope is that we can catch a vision for Jesus to be our guiding light. Then, then we can talk about how we can go forth following after Jesus and being his apprentice. Before we open the scriptures together, though, let's pray. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. And teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Jesus, thank you for this chance to interact together, to be your hands and feet to each other as we journey on this life. Father God, prepare our hearts and minds to worship you as we listen to your word. Holy Spirit, convict us today once again of our need for you. Thank you for showing us your love by sending your son, the second person of the triune God, to die that we could live. 
We love you, Jesus. Amen. As you open up your pew Bible to Mark 9 or to, on page 1537 or your, your booklets or your phone or whatever other device you're going to be following along, I want to remind us that we are in the middle of Mark, which sounds obvious. It's Mark 9. It's the middle. But Mark breaks down into two big chunks. And so we're in a bit of a transition here in the midst of Mark's recording of Jesus' life. The first half of Mark was spent convincing Mark's readers that Jesus is the divinely authoritative Son of God. He has power over the physical, the spiritual, the natural realms. He can heal at great distances. He can heal no matter what. The second half of this biography is committed to asking the question, what does it look like to use that divine authority? How can we react to someone who uses divine authority on our behalf? And it's on that backdrop that we're going to go jump into Mark 9. Because this text, we've got Peter, James, and John. I remember a song, Peter, James, and John in a sailboat. Anybody know that song? Out in the deep blue sea. I don't know. Peter, James, and John become the three dudes that hang out with Jesus. And this time, Peter, James, and John end up on a mountain, a solitary place. And they end up with their rabbi. And there, Jesus becomes a blinding light. I don't care what kind of lights we get. These lights are very, they're blinding-ish. But I don't care what kind of, we're never going to get, we're not going to get smoke machines here ever. Okay, good. No smoke machines. Right, like, I don't care what kind of laser light show we ever put on here at Elmwood. I want to promise you I'm never going to become a blinding light. And neither is John. This, This idea of light hits people and bounces off of us. This is how our eyes work. And we perceive the light bouncing off of us so we can see things. We're not used to things lighting up. In everyday life, when I need to look for my phone, because it's lost, I probably lost it in my car, it fell out of my pocket, the first thing I do is I pull my phone out of my pocket and I turn the flashlight on so that I can see in the nooks and crannies, right, because it's got a little light, so that it can, the light can bounce off of the phone I'm looking for, and that way I can see it. And, and then I turn to my wife and say, Chelsea, do you know where my phone is? Just put that away. Maybe that's just me. Maybe you guys got a better beat on that. <clears throat> no matter who is on this stage, chancel, whatever we're going to call it, no matter who they are, they're never going to light up. Light is always going to be bouncing off of us. Because very simply... We aren't God. Sorry, Peter, you're never going to light up. You're not God. I listen to a lot of voices. I listen to a lot of people that try to help me make it through life. I am never going to expect them to ever shine with the glory and light of God because those voices, those people that I listen to are not God. But here in Mark 9, God shows off Jesus' divine power and identity up on a mountain. Up in this place where God shows up. Whether we're in Eden, whether we're in Sinai. God shows up on mountains. And here, once again, God shows up on a mountain and shows off who Jesus is. 
And then a couple of dead dudes show up. I need to make a comment. I'm gonna, I was taught at a very young age when the, the preacher comes out of the, the podium, he's saying something that isn't like a divinely authoritative or anything. Like, I, I am bummed that uh, we don't have a ridiculous amount of time to look at Moses and Elijah. They are amazing. It's like we, get to, we, could, spend, we could spend all of the labs talking about Moses and Elijah and it wouldn't be enough time. They are so awesome. Like we could talk through life, talk through death, talk through miracles, talk through the voice of God speaking to these guys. We could look at the way that our Bible is organized versus the way that Jesus' Bible was organized because the Old Testament is different whether you're a Hebrew or you're a 21st century Christian. Right? It would be amazing. We don't have time this morning. So Moses and Elijah, influential guys. Leave it there? Okay. So two guys, two incredibly influential and dead guys show up. And they start talking to this blinding light, Jesus. Before we move on, Daniel Tiger will be wiggling his ears. And there'll be like stars floating around. Let's go into a land of imagination. Next week, we all show up. I sit in the pew. John comes up front. Blinding light, John. We're there. Are you imagining it with me? My, my ears wiggled. So you should be in the world of imagination with me. Blinding light, John. And now we have Benjamin Franklin and uh, Alexander Hamilton talking to John. How I knew these, who these guys, I, I don't know. It, like, looked at some dollar bills or something. These guys start talking to John. My reaction is I'm going to try to figure out how to get my jaw off the floor and like back in my mouth. I wrote this part of the sermon. I still have not figured out how to imagine it. It doesn't make sense in my brain for someone blinding light John, right? Not like Transformer John where like his parts change and he's a robot in disguise, but like he's transformed in front of us. I still can't get that through my mind. But yet that's what Peter, James, and John are experiencing. Blinding light Jesus. And two guys that shouldn't be there Pointing to Jesus saying, yep, this guy, this guy. (laughs) Divine authority. So in the same way that if I'm sitting in the pew and we have blinding light, John, and I don't know quite how to react because I still can't imagine it in my brain. Peter reacts. I love Peter. I love this guy. Because... I'm just like a little bit less of a fool than he is. So it's just like, just chums. I like this guy. He reacts and he sees the power of God. And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to react. I'm going to react in the best way I know how. This is the way that the people of God have been treating the power of God when it's shown up for generations. When the power of God and the light of God shows up, you build a tent for it. The people of God built a tabernacle for God in the wilderness because that's how God was going to interact with them. The tabernacle was moved and built into a temple because this is what you do when the power of God shows up and Peter's like, I don't know, tents? Seems well right, right? Let's do some tents. Uh, Granted, he also suggested building tents for 
Elijah and Moses. So we can see that he doesn't quite get it. He's not quite on board with what's happening in front of him. This is, this is Mark 9 in my Bible. If I do this, page flip, just one page back, Jesus is going to heal a blind man at Bethesda, right? We got uh, 8, chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. We got a guy that's blind, and Jesus heals him, and it's a two-stage healing. One of the only two-stage healings we see in the life of Jesus. Guy not able to see, guy able to see, but sees like people looking like trees, must be meditating on Genesis 1, not quite sure what's going on. And then Jesus heals and he can see everything. Peter's in the seeing people like tree phase. He doesn't quite get it. He's not quite there. Tense. Okay, you got it. Jesus is the power of God. Good job, Peter. Tense for everyone. So close. Didn't get there. You need more, Peter. You'll need more. And we'll get there, I promise you. But in these first three verses of our text, we see Jesus as our guiding light. In these three verses, Peter doesn't hit the mark perfectly, but he recognizes that this blinding white light is important. And he wants to build a tent for it because it's the power of God showing up right in front of him. This is my guiding light. This is my guy. I, I want to be on this mountain and listen. I, I want to be here. This is going to be my north star. And whenever we come to a point in the scriptures where God shows up and says, hey, this is, this is the blinding light. This is your north star. This is, this is what you need to follow, Dave. It always forces me to ask questions like, uh, what's my true guiding light? What really is my true guiding light? What is my north star? Is it God? Is it Jesus? Do I listen to the spirit of God when he speaks? Do I listen to God's word in my life? Or do I just check it off every morning, the check mark on my list of to-dos? Make sure to hit my psalm a day in the morning before I brush my teeth. Make sure that I go through and, and read my Bible in a year plan. Make sure that I read my Proverbs for the day. Is it just something I check off? Do I listen to God? Is God my guiding light or not? Because we all yearn for a guiding light. We talked about that at the beginning. We all yearn for a guide. It's good. It's an echo of Eden. But I can misappropriate that and I can end up listening to other broken people or broken systems that broken people have built as my guiding light. I can put myself in a place where I am being led because I'm blind and I need people to lead me and it can end up being the blind leading the blind. I can make music or musicians my guiding light. I can take something good like preaching or a church and make that my guiding Light. I can, I can take and put my ultimate trust in the news, in a medical diagnosis, or Facebook, or other social media platforms, and make them my guiding light that helps me do life, the thing to which I'm more. I can look to my friends, my family, my school grades, success, and make that my guiding light. I can easily make rest the weekend. 
my guiding light? How am I going to make it through this week so that I can get to rest? But if I'm trusting in broken people, if I'm trusting in broken systems that broken people made to be my guiding light, I'm always going to end up not going in the right direction. Yes, there are people that are close to God, and if I I listen to them, okay, they're kind of close to the true guiding light. I might be able to get close to where I'm going, but if I'm off by just a little bit, 15 degrees at the beginning of a journey, as the journey continues, I'm going to end up going in a wrong direction. I need to know the true guiding light. Instead, I need a better light. Instead, I need a better north star. Instead, I need a light that's so bright that it would be able to blind the blind of this our modern times. We need a leader who, when he shows up in his true blinding light form, his clothes dazzle white, whiter than any bleach on this world could ever make them. We need Jesus as our guiding light. I love, I love how God now takes this passage and, and works with it because we got Peter who's kind of there, kind of get, we, we got this super obvious, Jesus is our guiding light. So what's next? What do we do next? God says, okay, I got you. I, we got this guiding light. So what are you going to do, people of God? If we keep looking in the text, uh, it says that a voice of God comes out of the cloud. This is where Peter's going to get not just the, the people looking like trees, but Peter's going to get something good. He's going to actually get on board. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. For those of you that have been following along in the Mark series for two years? A year. 18 years? Uh, whoever, however long we've been doing Mark, you're going to recognize a little bit of it. it. These words are incredibly similar to what we see in Mark 1 at Jesus' baptism. The voice of God speaks again in Mark 1. It says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. These ver- this verse says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I was taught long ago by people that are smarter than me to make sure to pay attention. We get a situation where we get repeated, related, alike, unalike words and ask the question, what does this say about God? We've got some repeated, related, alike words, and we have some words that are unalike. Instead of God speaking to Jesus and confirming in him everything that he needs to know before ministry starts, with you I'm well pleased. This is God's voice speaking to Peter, James, and John. This is my son. That's the difference. What does this say about God? God wants people to follow Jesus and to know who Jesus is and how to respond to this. The other difference, where we have two, two words, right? You are my son whom I love. Very similar. This is my son whom I love. At the end, listen to him. Peter, this is the guy you're supposed to be listening to. You don't need a tent. This is not some Shekinah glory that's going to lead you around a wilderness that you need a tent to contain. This is a person. A human being that walks around with you. 
that eats meals with you, that laughs when things are going well, that cries when people die. Here is me incarnate. Peter, listen to him. Peter, listen to him. Dave, listen to him. Jared, listen to him. Josiah, listen to him. Listen to him. Anna, listen to him. These words, three little words, listen to Jesus, are so simple. Got it. Listen to Jesus. Walk off the stage. We're done with the sermon. But listening to Jesus can be hard. When the way the world has taught us things are, don't align with the way that Jesus says things are. Listen to Jesus is a simple command. Doing it can be incredibly hard. Second half of our passage, I think, is a case in point. We get Peter, James, and John. They're confused about this whole, don't tell people about this until after I come back from the dead, says Jesus. And they're like, wait, hold on, this doesn't work. Peter, James, and John's day, they've been taught that Elijah is supposed to come back. And when Elijah comes back, he's going to set all the things right. He's going to make way the way straight and simple. Knock down the mountains, raise up the valleys so that people can come to the Messiah that's coming. He was supposed to bring an end to this age of sickness and death. He was supposed to declare peace and goodness and salvation. He was supposed to bring an end to the old ways and begin the new things for the Messiah. But if Elijah comes first and ends sickness and death, and Jesus is the Messiah that comes after Elijah, how can the Messiah then die and be brought back to life? And they're confused. And they're walking down the mountain. This doesn't work. To their credit, they go to the place of all knowledge and information. They go to Jesus and say, I'm confused, Jesus, help me out here. Although it doesn't make sense, they do a good job and they bring this conundrum to Jesus. And he tells Peter, James, and John, listen and adjust your expectations accordingly. Now, the teaching, listen to some dude and adjust all of your life accordingly, no matter what the dude says, is bonkers. If you guys ever happen to move, go to a different church, and the the pastor of that church says, listen to me above all else and adjust everything in your life accordingly to my words, run fast. Just, if I ever say, listen to everything I say, adjust your life accordingly, y'all have the right to fire me that day. Totally fine. This teaching only works when it's about a guy who just showed up in dazzling white light form. When a guy who just transformed from dude form into like God form. Like that, then the teaching works because God has shown up and says, this is my authority. This is my authoritative voice on earth. 
Listen to him. Adjust your expectations because you're listening to my voice. When the God of life and order and love speaks into our world through the person Jesus, we don't have to listen to him anymore. We get to because he's the dazzling white light form, author of all things, completely authoritative and divinely inspired. He is God incarnate. We get to listen. We don't have to ask questions. What do we do? Here he is. The message is simple. Listen to Jesus above all else. The application isn't always easy though, because Jesus says things like, love your neighbor. And it's hard when your neighbors show up. And uh, I had a a great neighbor on our block. Uh, He ended up dying in 2020 uh, and he sold his house. And so I got a new neighbor. It's like, great, a new neighbor. This is going to be amazing. And then he flipped the house, kind of, not very well. And he rented the house out and... The house is, the people who rented the house are amazing. I love it. They're great. And they've done a great job of cleaning it up, but it was not clean when they rented it. Because my neighbor, I just don't agree with him. Love your neighbor. Jesus says, Dave, adjust your expectations. That's hard. We got a guy who isn't willing to take responsibility for the neighborhood buying a house next to me. It's simple. Listen to Jesus. It's hard. Turning and believing that good news that the kingdom of God is near. Simple. Just believe it. Hard when you look at your news feed and you see anger and hate and death and sin being lifted up as this is the right way to live. When it doesn't look like the kingdom of God is near, it's hard. And I have to adjust my expectations and so do we so that we can see the kingdom of God breaking into this world right in front of us. So that we can continue to pray, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's hard to call the zealots and tax collectors of our day to sit at the same table. Jesus called those who thought the government was a complete waste, who thought that taxes were just the government stealing from us. He called those people and said, come to my table. And then he called people who collected the taxes on behalf of the government to come to the same table. Come and sit. Let's sit together. And it's hard for us today to hear Jesus listen and call those same two people to the same table. Have our lives transformed. Especially when we live in an age where political divisions are so stark. God asks us to adjust our expectations and engage with each other politically in love and with grace and with patience. And we can treat them as human beings with disagreements rather than enemies to be destroyed. It's hard, but it's good. When we listen to Jesus, we get to love and be loved by people who, uh, you know, are different than us who know that they're not loved because of their actions, who know that they are rather loved because God has declared them lovely and lovable. God has declared you 
lovely, and lovable. And so because he has declared you as someone he loves, you have the chance to now go love people that are different than you. When we listen to Jesus, we get to be a people who get to see God from different positions in life. Seeing God through the eyes of the next generation in the next-gen debrief, God is so big, I don't get to see God through those eyes every week because I I see him through the eyes of a 40-year-old, balding, slightly pudgy, graying man. Seeing God through the eyes that you have, we're going to see God differently and we're going to see more of this infinite God that I'm not going to be able to see fully until he comes again and sets all things right. When we listen to Jesus, we have our expectations adjusted as we set all things through the litmus test of the cross where God showed off what love is. He demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We will know what love is so that we can move forward together as we listen to Jesus. One thing I know about Elmwood is that we want to be the kind of church marked by listening to the voice of Jesus. I know about Elmwood that we want to be a place where people who have experienced church hurt in the past can come and be loved no matter what. And they might not agree with everything we say, but they are going to feel loved. That's the kind of church Elmwood wants to be because Jesus has loved us unconditionally. We want to love unconditionally. We want to be a community where if we look out in the parking lot on a Sunday morning, we've got bumper stickers that say MAGA and we've got bumper stickers that say Biden right next to each other because we can look past our political ideologies as we see people loved by God. I know that we want to be a place like that because Jesus is our king. We can listen to each other and figure out how to do loving our country well into the future. We want to be a church full of sinners. Hey, hey, we got it there, right? We want to be a church of sinners forgiven by God. We want to listen to King Jesus no matter what. Elmwood wants to be the kind of church this world needs right now. I know we want to be that. It's going to be hard. As we walk into positions and into situations and into relationships with people who disagree with us and with people who say, why are you holding up the truths you find in scripture as truth? It makes for hard conversations. I know it. And we want to be a church where all people are loved. We want to be a church where we love people no matter what their pronouns are. We want to be a church where we cry with people who are hurting before we ask, did you hurt yourself in this situation? We want to be a church where we rejoice when things are going well. No matter if that person is a part of our community, a part of our family, or not. I know that we want to be this way. I happen to know that Elmwood Church wants to be this way because when the Hammond family showed up, we just refereed a year of church fight. The church was asking, do we fire Dave? And at that point, there was no other elder to lead the church through, this is how you fire your pastor. So I got the chance to referee a church fight for a year, asking the question, how do we fire me? And when we showed up, you loved us. I know. 
We want to be a church that listens to King Jesus. I also know that I still have a long way to go in listening to King Jesus. I know that I don't listen to him perfectly. I know that, like, I've gotten, I'm with Peter on this one. I, and I know that we're all kind of in that same boat. Some days are, are days where you make massive leaps in following Jesus purpose, perfectly. And other days are like two steps forward, two steps back. <clears throat> I know more and more we listen to King Jesus as our guiding light, though. The more we will be the, like that church we want to be for our neighbors, our family members, our classmates, and our friends. I know it can be hard to hear that we still have growth to do. I know it can. It's hard sometimes to look at our lives and recognize that we're not following Jesus perfectly. Sometimes I guess it's easy to say, yeah, I've got issues. I'm, I'm with Peter on this one. It doesn't always work out the way we plan, even though we have good intentions. <clears throat> we try to listen to Jesus in a myriad of ways. We all do, and we all can fail, miss the mark. And because I know that we all can do that, I know that we are a community of people that aren't quite there yet. We're moving in the right direction. We know where we want to be, and we're going there. We're not quite there yet. And what that means is that we don't just need the divinely authoritative Jesus. We don't just need the blinding white light Jesus. We don't just need the guy on the mountain, we also need the crucified Savior who saves us and cleans us from the stain that sin has left in our lives. We need to be set free from the power of sin, to be forgiven from the penalty of our sins. We need to be liberated from the presence of sin in our lives. That's one of the reasons every week we come to this table together. And we come as one. And we all take of the same bread and the same juice. And we come over and over again so that every one of us can see that all of us don't listen to Jesus perfectly and we all need the broken body and spilt blood of our Savior. Over and over again, we need to confess our sins over and over again. We need to declare that we are loved and lovely and forgiven by God over and over again. We need to be nourished by Christ as we remember his death. We need to be nourished by Christ as we proclaim his resurrection. We need to be nourished by Christ as we await his coming in glory. I'm going to invite you to the table. Before I do, I want us to take 30 seconds, just some time in quiet as we deal with the ways that we haven't listened to Jesus in our own lives with him.